Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. Let's find out what it's like being freelance for filmmaker and digital artist Wayne Sables. You know, the real challenge of being an independent is it's quite lonely sometimes. And I do like my own company, but I do get bored of myself. So being able to work on a project with other people not only sparks like creative ideas, but on a really practical level, it means you're not on your own. I'm learning the value of maximising my time. So what I really love to do is make work. And what I really don't like to do is publicise and sell that work. So when I stopped trying to do everything and I really refined down what I want to do is when I started getting a lot more work. Yeah, so there is Wayne, who is a filmmaker up in Doncaster here in the UK. He's a member of the Beam Freelance community, and I'm always seeing him on Instagram doing cool projects. So really looking forward to hearing how he got started and learning more about his business. Now, Wayne is somebody who's been doing this for quite a long time, well over a decade, I think. But if you are a new freelancer, maybe you're thinking of starting out, you're doing it on the side at the moment of your full-time job, you've just started, maybe you're in your first year and you're thinking, am I doing everything right? Please do check out the course that I created at the start of this year. It's called How to Get Started Being Freelance. We talk about setting up as a freelancer, becoming a business, becoming financially smart. Also for marketing, so you get clients, how to then work with clients, invoice clients. We talk about contracts, proposals, managing your own time, as well as managing client projects so that you don't burn out. Anyway, there's so much more to it than that. It's a nice, easily digestible video course and lots of people are liking it. If it sounds like the sort of thing that you could do with, then please do check it out. Go to beingfreelance.com and click on course. Right now, though, let's find out what it's like being freelance for filmmaker and digital artist Wayne Sables. Hey, Wayne. Steve, how are we doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, you are very welcome. As ever, how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? So I originally trained as a contemporary and ballet dancer. I knew we had so much in common. I know. I've seen the videos. <laughs> yeah, so I, I trained as a, a, as a dancer. I had a career as a, as a dancer for 10 or so years. I was really lucky touring all over the world. And then I kind of fell out of love with it really and then retrained as a filmmaker between 2006 and 2009 primarily with with the aim of working within dance but as, as, as a filmmaker so a dance filmmaker and then I think I think I'm a bit of a chancer Steve really because <laughs> from there I, I have that really weird brain that I look at something and I go oh I think I could do that that doesn't look that difficult which is the same with film. So when I, when I decided I wanted to be a filmmaker, I was touring the USA and I was in New York and I was walking to the studio one day and I saw this, this big film shoot happening. And like, like I'll never forget, there was this, this like really amazing woman on, on the top of a fire truck kind of rolling down the street and all these cameras <laughs> were, were, were filming it. And I thought, oh, I'd like to do that, not be on top of a fire truck, just to, just, uh, just to add that caveat. Um, but... <laughs> The, the the people filming it, I just thought, oh, that looks really interesting. So I, I literally went out and bought a little um, camera, you know, the little tape deck cameras and just started filming. So that's how I, I ended up becoming a filmmaker. And then I did the same with uh, projection mapping. I was at a light night festival a few years ago and I just thought, oh, that doesn't look that different to filmmaking. 
I think I'd like to try that. So I went up to the chaps that were projection mapping and just said, can I come hang out with you for a bit? Because this looks really interesting. And they were really gracious and said, yeah, you know, if you want to come hang out and spend your own time with us, by all means, um, fully not expecting me to turn up the next day. So I kind of knocked on their door the next day and just went, right, let's go make some stuff. <laughs> um, so then I learned how to projection map and, and I combined the two. And then more recently, I was thinking, I'd quite like to develop this a little bit further because I felt I'd gone as far as I could go with my skill set. And I was just, again, at another light night festival. And I thought, oh, I wonder if I could make a light installation because, you know, film and projection uses light. It can't be that difficult. <laughs> um, so right now I'm in the midst of uh, creating a prototype for a new outdoor light installation. And I should say my naivety along the way of going, it isn't that difficult absolutely steered me in, in in the right direction to try this stuff. Had I not been as naive, I would never have done it because it is that difficult. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. Um, okay, so from dancer to chancer, so much to talk about. You mentioned the fact that you went and studied uh, film. Uh-huh. So, so did you do that alongside your dance career or did you simply take a break? Like, so, I was, so I'm a self-taught filmmaker, really. Back then, so 2006 is when I, when I picked up my first camera. All we had, and you'll remember these well, Steve, all we had is books <laughs> and, and, and a head full of dreams. Yeah. Yeah, so I read lots of books and I just made stuff. So I tried things and I got it wrong a lot. So I'm, I'm, um, I'm dyslexic. So I'm not great at, at kind of reading papers and... and and learning off the page, really. So for me, the best way was just to actually pick something up and go make stuff, edit it, learn the software, and do it all as as, mm. um, as one process, really. So when it came to actually making a living from it, though, how did you start to get clients? For about two, three years, I had this parallel career almost. So I, I was still performing. I was still choreographing. Um, and I, I mean, at the height of my fame, Steve, I was performing in places like Rotherham. So, you know, I mean, that is something to say to my younger self. If success looks like this. Yeah. So so I had this dual career. So I, I was I was still performing. So I was kind of scratching a living at doing that, really. And then I was developing my film practice. But I used myself as a test subject because at, at that point, my my vision was to make dance film. I kind of had everything I needed. So I had a body, which was me. Um, I had a camera and then I just had the idea to go out and make stuff. So I started to build up a portfolio of dance film, primarily with myself or I'd film my own work. And, and, and then I started slowly getting known for making dance film and less for making choreography or performing. So when I finally hung up my dance jock strap, <laughs> kind of people were already knowing me as a filmmaker as a dance filmmaker um, and then actually from there it, it it kind of was was a lot simpler to start making other styles of film and coming outside of that dance genre really so it was le- it felt less of a leap because I'd already had three years kind of learning my craft mm. but the first clients mm-hmm. were dance companies yeah so dance companies independent dance artists to be completely blunt friends really so people that I'd performed with. And, and a lot of my early stuff I did for free. You know, there's lots of value in doing that. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily advocate 
for that now, having been in the industry for a while. But at the time, it was absolutely on my terms in terms of making it. So I went to people and said, can I film this? Can I make this? Can I do this? So that took a lot of pressure off because I was working with people that I knew really well and I knew their choreographic processes really well. So I was able to film things, I guess at that point, slightly differently to what they'd seen from, from non-dance trained filmmakers, really. And then from there, actually, looking back, it was quite a big jump, really. So I, I then started applying for commissions. So the first job I ever got, which I don't know if I, I would have been brave enough to apply for it had I started now, but I got a big documentary commission for a local council. And I think a lot of it is, is serendipitous, really. So the arts council officer at the time was an artist. So he'd seen my kind of my artwork and, and thought, actually, that's a really interesting approach. And he really kind of supported me in those early days transitioning into documentary filmmaking. Um, and, 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 you know, you, you know this, as with these things, once you've made one thing in a genre, it's easier to keep making things inside of that genre. Mm. The challenge that I did have, actually, which was um, I'm still kind of figuring out 10, 15 years on, is so in different kind of cities around where I live, I was known for different things. So in Leeds, I was like the dance film guy. In Barnes, I was the documentary film guy. Um, and in Doncaster, you know, I was the dancer still, even though I'd not danced for many years. So that actually was my biggest challenge was kind of unifying all of that in all of those cities to go, actually, you know, I do this and I do all of those things, but it falls on, under the filmmaking umbrella. How did you overcome that? Well, I think it was a, a threefold thing, really. So firstly, it was it was actively articulating it to people and saying, no, I do this, this and this, or I make this. It was then actually making work in those genres. So I had a portfolio. So when, when um, and I'm sure we'll get onto this, but like curating your online presence is really important in terms of finding the work you want to do. So I was quite early on in terms of curating my website and curating my like Google My Business presence and all of those things. So when, when people were kind of searching online, I was kind of ranking and coming up. So I was that, that opened a lots of doors that an email wouldn't necessarily have opened, I think. So by the time I spoke to X person in York, for example, I was searchable online. And, and had a body of work you've done the work for free you've got the first client that isn't dance in the, in the form of a council so a really good client as well how yep. did the business sort of evolve how did the work keep coming in yeah so so looking back now I guess it was quite sporadic if I'm honest with you I didn't really know what I was doing that much so I was kind of applying for everything and trying to do everything so I was still working in dance because I wasn't confident enough to make that leap so I was still teaching teaching dance right up until kind of the day I I, I stopped performing and and I kind of I still have lots of different conversations around but yeah I can teach that that choreographic style for you yeah I can choreograph that that work yeah I can film that um, documentary oh I've got an idea for another dance film so I was trying to do everything and and not doing any of it kind of to my full potential I don't think so the minute I publicly it was it was kind of like coming out to the world as, as a non-dancer. So the minute I came out and went, I'm not a dancer anymore. I'm not a choreographer anymore. Um, that actually that's when I think my perception of what I do changed, which then other people's perception of what I do changed, I think. So I unmudded the waters for myself. And, you know, like I've heard a lot of this on, uh, from lots of great 
kind of people you you've spoke to on on the podcast around being really clear about what it is that you offer and being really clear about what work you want to put out in the world so when I stopped trying to do everything and I really refined down what I want to do is when I started getting a lot more work and I'm I'm really really lucky is that I kind of have a, a real mix of clients now so I work for like big organizations I still work in dance and I feel much more connected to dance now as, as a digital artist than I ever did as a dancer. I, I get to work with a lot of friends that are still artists. So I get to do all of those arts-based projects or corporate type projects. And then also I get to make my own work because I have an arts background. I can still work with the Arts Council and work with various cultural organizations to bring all of that understanding of, of the arts and my, my experience in the arts and then turn that into a digital product, whether it be a, a projection mapped performance or whether it be a film that I think still keeps those core principles of that organization, but has a wider kind of appeal to a general audience. Mm. So when you say you, you can create your own projects with Art Council, or how would you describe the Arts Council for people around the world? So, I mean, the Arts Council is a phenomenal thing, actually. It's a funding organization, so it, you know, it has a finite amount of money that it can distribute to artists and organizations. So not everybody can get funding all the time. And it is absolutely a lottery when you apply for funding. You, know, you might have the best idea in the world. And of course, we all think we've got the best idea in the world when we're applying for funding. But it's not a guaranteed kind of way to fund the project. But um, so I have, a because I've um, been fund of, from the Arts Council since I was uh, graduated university in 2001 as a dancer. Um, you know, I've got a, I'm able to kind of have conversations um, with them and go, oh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of fusing this this art with with this digital medium. Now that doesn't mean that it, it's fundable and it, and it you know has no way any bearing on, on whether I get funding. But I think I have a, a enough contact that I'm able to send an email and say, can I have a conversation about this? Which I think is really uh, really important with with funding organizations that, that they're really approachable and you're able to have conversations what i should say is there's a really really strict set of criteria that you have to hit for the arts council so, you know, it has to have social impact it has to have a social value you know, it has to have an audience engagement model around it so it's not just i have an idea here's a funding bid let's apply for funding that i mean it is quite an involved process and you have to have partners on board and and i think what i'm saying that probably i'm not articulating very well is because I've been in the arts industry for so long that I've got, you know, I've got enough kind of relationships that I've built up over time that I'm able to go to ex-cultural organizations say, I'd really like to uh, make a digital project with dancers or with, with visual artists. Can we build a project together that, and the, 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 the social outcome would be X, Y, and Z or, or the, you know, the wider appeal, organizational appeal would be X, Y, and Z, for example. Mm. so filmmaking can seem well it seems to me like you know you mentioned a person on the fire truck and lots of people filming like it feels like there's often a lot of people involved in making film do you just do it all yourself or do you hire others collaborate with others how's it work for you yeah so i do both actually so i'm the atypical producer shooter the atypical independent filmmaker you know, i write the theme tune i sing the theme tune um, <laughs> and all of those things and and that's great. It's really great to be flexible. And it's really great if you can do all of those things. But of course, the danger is there. And I'm just realizing this uh, over the last kind of 18 months, really, is you also limit yourself when you do everything. Yes, you can keep budgets low. 
and you might get lots of work. You know, you might be booked up and run around like a headless chicken for five years. But actually, you know, you have to, for me, I had to take a step back and go, is that what I want to do? Do I want to be working 12 hours a day, six days a week, making all right money, but feeling completely overwhelmed all the time? So what I've started doing now is I've started kind of building a freelance team that I work with. Um, and that's actually opened up other opportunities and other jobs. So I'm, you know, sometimes I, I lead the job, so I direct the piece and I might just bring a, a sound engineer in and it's the two of us and we double up on cinematography and lights. Or sometimes, I'm, you know, depending on, on the project, we'll, we'll have a team of five. But also what that's done for me is it's mean that those people I'm collaborating with are also bringing me into their jobs. So I might do the sound for somebody else this week and next week, you know, they're doing the sound for me. Or, or vice versa. Mm. Um, so that's been a bit of a revelation for me, really, recently. And actually, you know, there's enough work to go around, I think. And you spoke about this a lot. You know, the real challenge of, of being an independent is it's quite lonely sometimes. And I do like my own company, but I do get bored of myself as well. So being able to work on a project with other people not only sparks, like, creative ideas and, and you know, you have all those really interesting conversations – but on a really practical level, it means you're not on your own. Mm. How have you found this sort of managing that scenario and managing the finances? So managing kind of people is is a whole skill set in itself. I do it, but it's, it doesn't come easy to me to do that, which is why I think I had such a long time just working on my own because it's easy to get myself there than to arrange to get other people there. In terms of finances... I, I'm, I think I'm quite frugal. So, you know, I'm Northern. You might notice that from my accent. <laughs> so uh, I grew up in a very atypical Northern town. So I learned to kind of manage my money really on. And I, you know, I was working from being 14 years old. I used to back sawdust in a sawmill at 14. Wow. Um, and then you became a dancer. This really is a film. I know, right? Billy Elliott who? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, so I've always kind of, from an early age, kind of tried to be really frugal. So I'm, I'm that guy, right, that, that gets my fee and I go, right, 20% goes in an account there because that's mm-hmm. my tax. Right, well, actually, I don't need that 70%, so I'm going to put another 20% in my rainy day fund because, you know, when you're freelance, it ebbs and flows. So, you know, there are months where I have very little work and there are months where I have lots of work. So when I have little work, I have my 20% that I've put away. So I try to kind of live really simply with kind of my life in terms of my expenses. And then that 20% rainy day fund kind of funds my equipment when I need to upgrade my equipment or it funds that, that slow week or whatever it is really. So I am like that really boring, boring guy that gets my budget and go, right. So the budget is X. So I need X for that. I need X for that. That's our travel costs. That's our fee. And I break everyone down really, which, you know, um, in the last 18 months has actually served me in good stead. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned equipment. That's another thing I think about when I think of filmmakers is the amount of equipment and presumably Mm. insurance and things like that. But there's a far more to that business, shall we say, than, I don't know, a copywriter with a laptop sitting at home. Mm -hmm. There's there's a lot involved. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, it... I have this, I have this conversation with my uh, partner all the time. Where's that come from? Is that new? No, I've had that for ages. <laughs> it's it's just been in the office. Um, but like like your camera, 
it's kind of the cheapest bit of your kit bag, really, because all that does, it just records. So, you know, you have lenses and you have sound cards and you have audio equipment and microphones and all that whole, whole host of things that, that you need to make film, really. So, and, and also, you know, you're using it, so it, it kind of potentially gets broken or it gets wear and tear. So, you know, I have to upgrade my kit every kind of 18 months, two years, really, but not, not as a full bag of kit i don't just kind of go right all that goes on ebay let me buy loads more it might be that you know i get a, i i sell a camera and i upgrade the camera to the newest model or in my 20 percent that i keep for my rainy day that maybe maybe you know it's building up a bit and i get a little bit green eyed and go oh there's enough to buy that really shiny new microphone that i really want but don't necessarily need because you know as as you know steve the justification is it will really improve the quality of my work you know, having a better microphone, yeah. for example. So yeah, so it's like it is a constant churning of, of stuff, um, and then also, you know, you have to have a backup or the ability to have a backup. So you mentioned an office, yeah. Though. So so do you have? You've got a workplace that you go to, do you? Um, well, yes and no. So I did, I did uh, have a shared office, and then when COVID hit, that all closed down. So I started uh, working from home you know, like the rest of the world did. Um, so I'm currently now looking to, to go back to a shared office space because, you know, part of me, I'm really personal and I want to be with people and I love being in an office space where you know, loads of stuff's happening. But when you're editing, sometimes you just need to disappear into a dark corner. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so I'm currently looking for an office space. So you prefer being in that sort of office or like co-work space environment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you know what? I want my cake and I want to eat it, really. I want to be in a space where there's lots of people and there are lots of creative people busying around. But I also want to be able to retreat and disappear into a room on my own when it, when it becomes a little bit too overwhelming. Yeah, I know that. Or mm. if you've got a really smelly sandwich that you want to eat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, do you know, which is a real consideration. Like, I've been that guy that's in a creative <laughs> workspace and I've got my sandwich out and, and, and I've smelt it and I've gone, <laughs> oh, no. That's not good. Do you work as a business name or as a, you know, or as Wayne Sables? So I do have a business name. Um, so it's called Wayne Sables Project. Um, and it comes from my kind of dance days, really. So when I, when I had a, a producer, when I was a, a dancer, she had lots of clients. And on her like Excel spreadsheet, she just went, oh, it's a Wayne Sables Project. And it just really stuck, actually. And, and, and I did try to change my name about 10 years ago, my business name. And nobody ever used it. And they just kind of j- just kept using Wayne Sables projects. So I finally gave in and went, oh, it's fine. So, ah, we could... so, so the company name you tried to use didn't have your name in it, basically? Yeah. So, so I call it WSP. But it is Wayne Sables project, you know, on all of the official documentation. I like, but you you can't force it. But that's good. So so even and even though you're hiring other people and stuff, clearly people find that you're at the core of it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it has been a bit of a challenge with some clients because they go, "Oh, I expected you to turn up," and I go, "Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm on another job somewhere else." So it has been an interesting thing to kind of negotiate in terms of growth. I see. So you might send people out on a shoot and not go yourself yeah that i mean that's a that's a big difference in a business right yeah and like there's loads of things that go on there for me so like i'm 
I don't mind saying this on the podcast, Steve. I'm a little bit of a control freak. Yeah, I get a little bit anxious when I'm not there. So for me, it's really good to have other people that, that you trust, that you can go, oh, that you guys go do that and I'll go do this. And, and it means we can do more work. Um, and it's helping me get over my kind of my need to control everything. And it means the business can keep going if you were, I don't know, I suppose if you were off sick. Yeah, which, you know, which is a real thing, isn't it? Like when you're freelance, if you're not working, you're not earning. Um, mm. Or if you go on holiday, you know, there's always that consideration to go, right, if I take two weeks off here, that's I've potentially lost X amount. And you just have to kind of deal with it and go, okay, look, it is what it is. Whereas if you can work with other people under your company name, at least you know that potentially you can still have revenue coming in whilst you're away. So I introduced you as a freelance filmmaker and digital artist. We've we've kind of touched upon so the fact that you might now create a light installation, dabbling in that mm-hmm. uh, projection mapping. So that's when you like are projecting a film onto a building or a surface of some sort. Yeah, live streaming. It sounds like you've gradually added more and more strings to that bow. When you say it out loud, it sounds like a lot, doesn't it? But for me, they're all kind of natural extensions to the previous one. So. So live streaming, for example, you know, is just live recording, really. So it's filmmaking for me, but um, because it goes out live, obviously, it's a little bit more pressure. But I've, you know, I started my career filming live shows, filming live dance shows. So for me, it was one extra piece of kit. That was it to start live streaming. So it felt really, really natural to, to be able to do that. And did that become about because somebody asked you, oh, we're thinking of doing this thing? Or did you go to people and say, hey, have you thought about doing this thing? Yeah, um, well, it came about from me. So I was doing a project with a, a dance and health charity in Leeds that I work with a lot. And they had um, they had a showcase. And I, I get far too excited sometimes. And I say things and I don't realize that I've said it. And my mouth runs away with me. And I just said one day when they were in the studio, I went, do you know what you should do? Instead of filming it and sending it out tomorrow, just live stream it. And it was before it was the infrastructure was in place. This was about five or six years ago. So it was still, you know, there was only really one or two platforms that could handle live streaming. But I'd said it out loud and, and the director went, yeah, all right, let's do that. So I had to kind of go away and then just learn how to do it. But since then, it's become a, it's become a, a, a well, I guess like a skill which is, become much more in demand definitely more recently with everything that's gone on in the world it you know and with this you know this hybrid thing that we have right now it's definitely become more a thing like before kind of 2019 it was quite ad hoc really so i'd really only live stream with maybe one or two clients and my own work to be honest so it financially it wasn't like it didn't make me any money but you know the, the side kind of benefit to that really was that it increase my portfolio and it increased my profile online and it gave me a bank of work online so that when when everything hit when people were searching this that in my area kind of I was coming up as somebody that had done this previously so it's only really taken off by accident this last kind of two years so because of the pandemic hmm. you'd accidentally built up all this SEO <laughs> yeah. and, and and actual experience to be fair in it so did that also mean that you know, when it came to the pandemic, that because you had these different elements to your business that you were able to keep working? Yeah. So, like, I mean, it's a little bit bittersweet, if I'm honest, the pandemic for me, because I've only 
had it like three or four weeks off during the whole the whole affair really but because because i'm digital and you know early on obviously lots of organizations were kind of going we need to we still have a program we have to deliver because we have certain outputs we need to reach so we need to move all of this online i was able to, to pivot really quickly and, and kind of offer that service to organizations. So I was able to kind of almost become a, a, a digital consultant in the sense that I was able to go, right, well, here's the infrastructure you need. I can come in, you know, obviously with all COVID rules, I can come in, I can set all that up, I can get you up and running, and then I can mentor you through the process. So I did that for about five, five or six organizations, uh, both in the UK and actually abroad during the pandemic. So for me, Obviously, I was incredibly thankful to be working, but it was I was very aware that a lot of my colleagues weren't uh, working. Mm. So, so like it was really positive, but in a really weird way. Yeah, that element of guilt. Yeah. You said about curating your online presence, and as part of that, you mentioned Google My Business. So, yeah. which so it sounded like that was you. You've put a lot into that. So I've always had a website from from when I first set up as a freelancer, um, but obviously it was as a dancer. So I had to rebuild it in 2009 um, and then subsequently rebuilt it again during the pandemic. But um, when I was building the website and learning how all of that works, I came across this thing called Google My Business. And early on, I, I was very aware that Google's collecting data in it, in it, in its um you know, doing its wonderful thing where it kind of refreshes and, and you know, you need to keep uploading content. Um, and then I, I realized one day that when I went on to Google, that there was this side panel that was Google My Business. I realized that my rankings were getting higher and higher because I was updating Google My Business. So so I started kind of using it almost as a, as a social media platform like Instagram and like Twitter, you know, all of the social media stuff where, where you you know, you update content regularly. So I use Google My Business the same as that. So if I'm sending something to Instagram, I'll also send it to Google My Business with my location data and stuff. Because that then, if anybody searches that particular topic, I'll be in the mix. As an example, so if so, if you're on a shoot, let's say you're doing, you know, live stream of a dance thing, mm-hmm. and you've added that to Instagram, you then also add it to Google My Business with a description the description would be important as to yeah. as to what you were doing and where. Yeah. So, well, I use a, a third party um, application that sends it to all of them. Ah, um, okay. so, so I only upload it onto one platform, um, and then what it does is it reformats it so it's Instagram appropriate, Facebook appropriate, uh, and so on. But what you can do is you can add uh, your location data for just for specific social media. So I can just say. Actually, I'm in Leeds, so I add location data for Leeds for Google My Business, and I'll put a description about what I'm doing. So, you know, live streaming X dance performance today at said organization, so on. So I put all the key indicators that people might search in my description. And then, you know, Steve, when you're in Leeds and you're doing your welcome back tour to dance and you go, (laughs) I need this live streaming, live stream dance Leeds, it pops up. What's the app? So, well, I mean... You know, there are lots and lots of different ones, but I use something called Publer just because I find it... Um, just because it's got the word pub in it. Yeah, it's got the word pub in it. And, you know, let's be honest, most of our business does happen there. <laughs> Publer. Hang on, let me guess. Is that missing a vowel? Is it P-U-B-L-R? It, uh, yes, uh, right. yes, okay, yes. Right. Yeah, you know, it's that really cool startup company, isn't it, that can't quite 
spell stuff properly. Right, Publer. So, Interesting. Um, and and yeah. it will put it to Google My Business. That's great. And what about reviews? Do, do, do you ask yeah. for reviews? So I'm really, really rubbish at newsletters. And it is on my to-do list to get better at it. So so what I normally do is I ask for reviews through my social media channels because actually I, I get quite a bit of work through social media. So I, I kind of every two or three months, I'll just put a post saying, you know, if we work together and, and you're happy, please leave me a review and here's the link. So I make it really simple to click it and it takes you to that page because, you know, we're all fighting our attention online, aren't we? So mm-hmm. we want it as really simple as possible. So you wouldn't, just email them after you've done the job no i probably should if i'm honest um but again so so i'm i'm slowly learning the value of outsourcing as well right um you know that's why publer's great because for me i still have a little bit of control it's one message and it goes to all those different platforms i don't need to continually you know upload it to to different areas um but I am looking at outsourcing a newsletter at the moment. What, as in bringing on a, a writer? Yeah. Yeah, so so I've done it with my blogs. Um, so I, I, I have a, a, a copywriter that writes blogs for me. Um, so we do it between us. So I'll write some and she'll write some just to keep content going over. And again, just to keep uh, Google kind of indexing and optimizing my website. How how often would you add a new blog post? Well, this is the question. So I should really be doing it every week. um, But I do it kind of every couple of weeks, really. Um, And when it comes to your copywriter writing it, how how does that work? Yeah, so we have have an online Google Drive document that um, there's a list of questions in there that I answer every time uh, I'm doing a project or every time I'm doing um, something that I think's blog worthy, I'll, I'll answer all the questions for her. And then that instantly sends it to her. Um, and then the other thing that I started doing about two years ago is I, I have a PR person now, you know, I pay monthly and every time I get a project, they do the PR for me. So again, it's just, increasing that exposure online increasing that searchability it's coming at it from different angles so the other thing that i wasn't aware of until recently is that it's all well and good having all of the stuff on on your website but actually google needs to authenticate you and anybody can put things on a website so to have your name mentioned or to have backlinks or have things in trade magazines for example all adds to that kind of credibility of google making sure you are you are who you say you are. So I started working with a PR and that's been great actually because that's actually brought work in. Wow. I'm not sure. Do you know, I don't know what we're on now, episode 270 odd. I'm not sure I've specifically heard someone they've hired a PR before. So the PR person does what? So what they do um, for me, every so, so if I'm doing a um, like this light installation I, I'm researching at the moment, so I'll you know do lots of video. I'll take lots of film that I would anyway for social media. But then I'll kind of send that to them, and then we'll have a, a meeting um, every month, and I'll explain all the projects that I'm working on and, and who who are the funders, you know, what's the project, all of that information, and then they'll then write an article about it, and then they'll send that to you know the local newspaper, or they'll send it to trade publications, and so on, and then that gets published or sometimes it gets picked up. Um, so you know, I was on um, on the local BBC News for a documentary that I made a couple of months ago that is in the festival circuit. So they just increase exposure, really. Uh, and 
I was going to say, does that work particularly well because you are working in, or not always, but a lot of what you do is in the arts and therefore that there's that there's that news angle in there yeah in, I, do, do you feel like it would work if you were just making and i don't mean just making forgive me but if you were just making videos for a council or a corporate video or whatever would it work in the same way is what i'm thinking do you know i it's hard to say but i don't think it would so i think part of my work is definitely niche so working with you know with artists and arts organizations is, is it's not a huge market it's not as big as you know uh, the documentary filmmaking industry in the uk for example um but also what it does for me is working in that niche then gives me the ability kind of to be able to branch out so the documentary i've just made which is around it's a self-funded documentary around drag artists in my hometown uh, utilizing john my pr's networks so he already has those relationships that he can send uh, information across again doesn't mean it's going to get picked up but it just means it gets put in front of people that potentially could publish it it's kind of one less job that i need to think about and need to do and and really i'm learning the value of maximizing my time so what i really love to do is make work and what i really don't like to do is publicize and sell that work <laughs> so and that PR is like for, is it like a certain amount of hours a month or a certain amount of like what a month? Yeah. So, um, so we just negotiated a set fee um, and he, and you know, John, I mean, I've known John for 20 years, so you know, I trust him implicitly that he'll come back and he'll go that this is where we've got you this month, or this is the metrics where you've reached this month. And you know, some months, some months I'm not doing anything really interesting nothing goes out that month. And then some months you have two projects that really capture the imagination and get picked up, for example. So mm -hmm. it's, it's not like I, I can't go, oh, we get five publications in September. We got six in October. We're aiming for 10 in December. It kind of doesn't work like that growth model, but you kind of go, well, this month, you know, that project really captured the imagination. That one, not so much. But you, you still think social media is in, so it sounds like a lot of stuff is word of mouth. You've got mm -hmm. your PR going out. You've got Google, my business, doing its business for you. Yeah. But but you're also then on social media, and that brings you work. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I should say, like, I really hate social media. <laughs> like, I do, and I spend far too much time on it, more than I would like. But I also, you know, I'm I'm scared not to have it yeah. for my business. Um, I very rarely post personal things on there anyway, because um, I'm of that age where I kind of came to social media in my 20s. So I don't have that um, look at me in this Michelin star meal kind of relationship with social media. Um, and actually, truth be told, it'd be me in a bag of chips. So, <laughs> so have we covered all the ways that Wayne Sables and Wayne Sables Project makes money, basically, like all of your revenue streams? Or have we missed something? So I, yeah, I mean, I do have a couple of other things that, that would fall into the side projects category. Um, so during lockdown, I, that, so like, so like everybody, you know, the first, I lost everything in a week. So I had like the first month, I kind of did very little. So I thought, well, what have I really wanted to do? Or what have I been putting off? And I wanted to do a series of online courses because, you know, like lots of freelancers, I've taught kind of sporadically over the course of my career you know I've, I've guest lectured and so on 
So I built a series of online courses. So I built um, a course around editing using the software that I used to edit on. I built a course around smartphone filmmaking because, you know, I was at home and I wanted to still make stuff in those early days. And I've built a course around projection mapping that are available online that, that people can purchase and things. I mean, interestingly, having them online has actually brought me work in. So um, ah. as a result of having those online, you know, I've, I've taken on a couple of jobs where I'm mentoring artists that are transitioning from movement into digital. So that what started off as a knee-jerk reaction has, has become a really nice side, hus- side hustle, side project. I don't like the word hustle, but side project. Mm. Um, so that's kind of been a really interesting avenue for me, actually, something I would never have done had we not had all of that time and space yeah. at, at the beginning. Where, where do you host the courses? So they're all, um, they're on multiple platforms, really. So um, Vimeo On Demand is my preferred platform. That's just because I don't have to give 50% of it away to the hosting platform. <laughs> um, I mean, they're the same price across all of the platforms. And then it's also on Skillshare and on um, a platform called Udemy. I see. So it's okay to put the same, they, they don't care. You know, like you, you to me don't care, but it's also on Skillshare and Vimeo. No, so you're, I mean, you own the content, right? So you're allowed yeah. to put them wherever you want. I mean, what I do do is I, um, each one has a couple of videos that are specific to that platform as well. Just covering my own back, really, to say that actually they are different. So like Vimeo has a um, an extra course in the projection mapping that, that Skillshare doesn't have. And Skillshare might have an interview uh, with a, a projection mapper that Vimeo doesn't have, for example. Interesting. And so how, I mean, it's brought you work. Has has it worked the way where you might hope, like, bringing you income? Yeah. So, like, I'm never, ever going to be able to retire on it in any way, shape or form. But, you know, it, it brings me a couple of hundred pound a month in. Mm. Um which actually covers all my insurances, you know, for my equipment and, and my, you know, my indemnity insurance and all those things. So it, it kind of pays for that, really. So I, I treat it as a, a little bonus each month. I mean, the thing is, it is, it, it's a little bit sporadic in terms of some months it might be £200, some months it might be £90, you know, so it's not the same guaranteed every month, but it's a nice little bonus. Yeah. When you have all of these different, ways of making money and with all kinds of different organizations and things and coming from different countries when it comes to things like Vimeo and Udemy and Skillshare do you have an accountant who figures all of that out yeah yeah so um well I've had an accountant from the day I started freelancing because um you know because I'm dyslexic numbers aren't always kind of great when I'm trying to do things but also, again, you know, I realized that it takes me two weeks to do all my accounts. So actually, it takes my accountant much less time. And that fee is, is less than two weeks worth of work. So I figure, actually, it makes sense to let somebody that knows what they're doing do all of that. Very much. You said that there are months, you know, even now, perhaps, where you might not have that much work on there a month which are busier Mm -hmm. what do you do when it comes to those quieter months yeah so um so i i take them as a as a blessing now so like before i used to really panic when i'd have a month that that was really quiet but now i i take them as an opportunity to learn something new or as an opportunity to dive deeper into something that i'm already 
trying to explore. And when you work digitally, you're always learning. And there's, mm. you know, there's always something else that, that another company's brought out that can enhance your workflow. So I spend time kind of investing in that. And I try to upskill myself as much as I can. And it sounds like experimentation is big in in what you do like do you make Mm. time for experimenting yeah absolutely so i i i'm getting better now the old the older i get so i'm really good at going right this this week block is for this and i'm taking no work on for this but for me yeah like i love playing like i love kind of trying new things out and i love looking at something going i don't know if i can do that but i'd like to try and and I yeah, and I think for me, you know, that's taken me into loads of really interesting ways to to apply what what I do in different environments. Okay, Wayne, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true, one a lie. Let me figure out the lie. Okay, so um, my first fact is when we bought our house, I went to an auction and I bought the wrong one. bought the wrong house at an auction yeah okay that's a good fact i hope that's true go on next Um, my second fact is when i was a dancer i was uh touring in toronto and i accidentally auditioned and got a part in a beyonce music video that i had to turn down (laughs) okay and when i was training to become a dancer i only trained to become a dancer because my real ambition was to become a stuntman okay do you know what i'm a little bit gutted because i did read somewhere online that like you were world champion taekwondo or something and i thought oh i wonder whether he thinks i haven't read that and then he'll say it and then i'll get this right and you've utterly avoided any mention of martial arts i know i was going to say that actually were you was it a world champion taekwondo or Uh, something yeah i was british champion three times (laughs) under 18 no. Okay, so how did you buy the wrong house at an auction? So, <laughs> so um, I mean, I would, I would say it's now the right house, but it was the wrong house at the time. Do you know, like everybody watches those uh, DIY shows and like kind of house renovation shows. I just said to my partner, oh, like we lived in a new build at that point and it was just a, bit, a little bit soulless. Mm. So I said, oh, you know, I'd really, like, we were looking at moving and I said, why don't we get an old house? And like, well, you know, we'll, we'll do it up and we'll do all those things. So we agreed on that. And we, we saw one that came up for auction and it was there. And then uh, my dad said to me, um, he was, he was, you know, walking with his, his, his walking buddies. And he said, oh, do you still want to do an old house up? And I said, yeah, yeah, we've got one. We're bidding on one. We're going to bid on one. He said, oh, I'm at this location. Come down, have a look. There's one here. So I saw this old house, this wreck of a house. It had like no roof, no windows, an old cottage. And I said, oh, yeah, it's, it's a bit too much for us. But, um, yeah, it's great. And and it was at the same auction. And I couldn't afford it. So the guide price was well over what what the house that, that we were going to buy went for. But I thought, do you know what? I'll bid on it up to our limit because it's, like, way under guide price, like like thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds under guide price. Um, like, they're never going to accept it. And then I'll know how auctions work. So when when it comes to our house, I can do that thing of going, yeah, yeah. So I bid on it, and 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 the guy uh, looked looked across. I was the last bid. Like guy looked, and it was seventy five thousand pound of the guide price, Steve. <laughs> the guy looked across, and he went, 
yep, no more bitters, and hit the hammer down. And I just, and I was like, oh, what does that mean? And he was like, it means you've bought it. So you were just practicing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, so hang on, but, so you actually bought it, you did it up, that's where you live? I'm still doing it up, and it is where we live. How did that conversation go down when you had to explain it to your partner? Well, I was almost single. Um, so, so I, I kind of, I phoned her up, um, my partner and I said, where are you now? She's like, oh, I'm here. I said, okay, drive to this place and meet me there. Uh, I've got something I wanted to show you. We met there and I showed her the house and she just went, it would be gorgeous when it's done, but I wouldn't want to be the mug that bought that. And I went, it's funny you should say that. Oh my God. I mean, the look I get when I pick up the wrong type of washing powder yeah you've got the wrong house okay i mean it is the right house now though next (laughs) next so you um (laughs) you you accidentally auditioned for a beyonce video and got the part yeah but i had to turn it down because i was on contract i was touring so i couldn't just go see you later yeah so i was in i was in toronto um on tour um in 2003 and I was just walking down the street, minding my own business. And there was like this crowd of people like at this shop window, do you know, like where like the bifold doors open up. There was this shop window, you know, this kind of guy interviewing this really attractive young woman that turned out to be Beyonce. And there was just like loads of people were dancing and so on and so forth. And I was like, oh, I'm a dancer. So I was just dancing in the crowd and like the, the kind of staff were going, oh yeah, yeah, come, come forward, come forward. And it was like, um, Toronto's version of MTV, I think. So I just kind of came forward and, and I wasn't on my own. I was with friends. So we were just dancing and, you know, being contemporary dancers and doing really cool stuff. Um, and, and at the end of it, kind of, it wasn't just me, by the way, but they came up to the group of people I was with and they were like, great, like, you know, Beyonce's team really love what you were doing. Go over there, have a chat to that guy and, and we'll talk about kind of the music video and where we need you to be um, and whatnot. And we were kind of going, what? We thought it was just like a dance party thing. And we just got carried away. So we, I didn't go over there and talk to them. I just kind of snuck out and left. Oh my God, Wayne, you could have been in a Beyonce video. I know. But again, you don't I want know. to upstage her. So. Well, I mean, that is the real danger. Real this is danger. Why, this is why I now refuse to be in them. Yeah, um, me too. You became a dancer because you wanted to become a stuntman. Yes. So to be a stuntman or, you know, stunt person, I mean, man in my case, um, you, you have to have two kind of specialisms. So I, I was, at that point I was doing martial arts quite a lot. I was doing taekwondo quite a lot and I needed a, a, another specialism. So I thought, well, martial arts really similar to dancing. So I went to college, did a performing arts BTEC and then um, a degree in contemporary dance thinking, well, at the end of the degree, I'll have martial arts, I'll have dance. I mean, Van Damme, watch out. <laughs> because, you know, Wayne's coming. <laughs> yeah, that didn't quite happen because I got offered a job as a dancer when I left university. And, and you know, the rest is history, Steve, as they say. Oh, my gosh. All right. Now, I don't know. There is wonderful storytelling involved in the auction and Beyonce but that doesn't mean that the stump man isn't true. In fact, it sounds it, it sounds very plausible. I, I do know. I really 
I'm going to say that Beyonce is the lie, though, because it seems extraordinary to have just been walking down a road and spotted what turned out to be Beyonce and to have accidentally ended up in an audition. <laughs> And then to have got picked, there, there seems so many extraordinary things happened in that story that I'm going to say that is a lie. I mean, I am absolutely offended that you have completely disregarded my dance technique and my ability to find myself in unusual situations. But on this occasion, you are absolutely correct. Yes! But that does mean that you accidentally bought a house, which is the one I really wanted to be true. That's awesome. Yeah, that is definitely true. <laughs> and I should say, John, it is beautiful, but it just took a lot of hard work and a lot of... Um, Apologies? Yeah, yeah. Flowers, <laughs> a lot of flowers. <laughs> okay, now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Do you know, I thought about this a lot, actually. I mean, I tell myself a couple of things. So I tell myself, like, build networks and build collaborations because some of the, the, the most fulfilling work I've ever done is with other people and it's outside of my comfort zone. So it, you know, it, and, and it's taken me into other areas of work, like projection mapping and, and all those things. So, you know, come out your comfort zone, build collaborations and build partnerships. Nice. Wayne, it's been so good to talk to you. Go to beingfreelance.com. There'll be links through so that you can find Wayne online in all of those various places and the different projects and the courses and stuff that he's talked about. Uh, go take a look, as there we are, for all of our guests. We also do show notes. There's a transcription. So if you know somebody who would love to hear this podcast but maybe literally can't hear this podcast, uh, they can still read and learn from the guests. So please do tell them about it and join the Being Freelance community while you're there as well. There's lots going on and it's all at the website beingfreelance.com but for now Wayne thank you so much and all the best being freelance oh thank you very much oh how good is Wayne do check him out if you're on Instagram I really recommend following Wayne details at beingfreelance.com for that matter follow at beingfreelance as well that's me on there Being Freelance is made by me Steve Folland I'm a video and podcast producer this is what I do on the side uh, to help myself and to help other freelancers and if you appreciate it if it's helped you at all you can support on a monthly or one-off basis by going to beingfreelance.com slash coffee but you know you can also uh, support without spending a penny by helping share it online leaving a review tell other freelancers it all makes a difference and I appreciate it anyway I hope you're good have a great week being freelance Thank you.